Well, uh, Vicki uh, Phil mentioned that she is our board chair, um, and like she said, like I told you uh, last week, one of the uh, first things that attracted me to Haiti Teen Challenge was this, the excellence of the organizations, the measurables that uh, a lot of other nonprofits didn't have, the rationale being completely nationally led, like passing the baton, because you look at the church around the world, it is uh, in pockets exponentially growing. It's good for me to be a missionary and go to Mongolia and then be involved in Haiti, but do I, will I ever understand the culture fully? Will I ever be fluent in the language? It's much better if Haitians, Mongolians, Chinese, that is an indigenous church. And that's where you see Jesus uh, um, just being preached, manifested in their lives. When they get that ownership, and that's a privilege to be part of, it's exciting to be around new believers and their passion for Jesus. It doesn't change, um, I'm going to rephrase that because I was going to talk about North America. It changes everything for them. They aren't compartmentalized. Jesus and how they live, and I think that uh, we have a lot that we can learn about from community and Holy Spirit power from the global church. It's a privilege to be part of. Thank you, Vicki. So... We are talking about from culture to kingdom. How are we going to be king followers in our culture today? How do we hear from Jesus today? When we do look at the New Testament, we look at the book of Acts, and we look at Luke's history of what's happening in the first century, there's Holy Spirit power. We see gospel movement happening. We talk about being grassroots and it just exploding. Last week, we also deconstructed me a little bit while asking ourselves the questions do I get in the way of Jesus? Do I see this person or this situation the way that Jesus sees this person or this situation? How do I hear his voice in my life today? Or am I open to the Holy Spirit's guidance? How do I move from what my culture values? And we're going to dive down a little bit. What do we value as North Americans? We looked at one thing last week. We are very individualistic in our perspective what evidence of Jesus is in my life today? Can other people see it? I think first, when we look at culture, we start with the Bible. We need a biblical theology of culture. And the Bible has a lot to say about culture. And I think we can simply define culture as this. It's what human beings do with the created world. What God has given us. The natural world, the resources God has given us. What do we do with those? And we can see this play out. In our human terms, what are some of the contracts of culture that we have built? Language would be one that we've been talking about, right? Social norms, social organizations, the politics that we build up. These are all things that are foundational and we have a larger culture that we always want to keep in mind, right? That's what this whole series is about, kingdom culture, biblical culture. We have customs, we have inherited artifacts, but then... What comes down, I think the most important thing, what we're trying to dig up here is our values. Are our cultural values, do they match God's cultural values? And if they don't, what does he value? Because that's what we should value as well. I think one of the best examples of culture to kingdom and how we interact with our culture is the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul is really straightforward. He's really practical. You talk about application, how do you live today? Paul's the guy that says, you know what, we can talk 
theologically, and he does, right? He's the guy that has all those really long sentences with commas and commas and relative clauses that refers back to everything else. He's a hard guy to read in the Greek. The verb comes at the end, anyway. The, uh, he does that, so he talks a lot of philosophy. He's a philosopher, too. But what does Paul do more than anything? He's like, we can talk all these ideas, we can do all this, but if it doesn't play out in our life tomorrow, if there's no real-world application, then why are we bothering? That's what the epistles are all about. We're going to look at uh, 1 Corinthians today. It's one of the most beautiful epistles in uh, the Bible, in my opinion, is Paul uh, writing just a gorgeous letter. And if you haven't read it from start to finish, that's how a letter is intended to be read because you have beautiful things in there. You have uh, uh, Corinthians 13 where he gives us a definition of love. He talks about his heart is for the Gentiles, right? His heart is for everybody to know. That's what he is talking about. And he's coming up against a culture that says we are inclusive. This is us, right? Israel was supposed to be the light to the nations. You look at the, uh, uh, what happened at the beginning and the promise, uh, the Abrahamic promise, the covenant that happens in Genesis 12 where God says, I'm going to bless you and through you all nations are going to be blessed that is a setting for the Messiah. That's a setting for Jesus Christ. And if you don't read the Old Testament in the context of God making a great nation for the Messiah, for Jesus Christ to come, then a lot of it's not going to make sense. The prophets aren't going to make any sense. That is what is building. And then finally, Jesus is the fulfillment of Scripture. He is king, and he's coming, and he's setting up a new culture, and he's saying everything that you guys have done. And Paul deals with this too, the law you guys need to rethink this. You guys are kind of missing the point here. And some of you are really missing the point here. So let's uh, go to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. He says this, his interaction with culture, how he deals, though I am, not, though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. There's his mandate there. And he talks about slave, servant, right? To the Jews, I became a Jew to win Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not a free... See, I told you it was hard to read, right? I did this last week. Though I am not a free... Though I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law, so as to win those who are not having the law. To the weak I became weak, to win the weak. I have become all things, all people, so that by all means possible I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share its blessing. Now Paul goes on in this chapter, and he's talking about culture here, because he's talking, he's got a whole bunch of different things like circumcision and what you eat. And he goes on here and he says, you know what, you guys, this is the way to do this. You should imitate me because I'm imitating Christ. And he starts to break down a whole bunch of things, food laws, because they're slaves under the law. They're not wanting to let this promise open to the rest of the world. This is for us. Paul says, he says explicitly in Corinthians, imitate me because I'm imitating Christ. Our mandate is to emulate Jesus, to go about how he lives, to see who he sees. So I want to ask us this morning, how in our spheres can we use the freedom, right? Because Paul contradicts a lot. He says freedom. But our freedom is to act on this way, the way Jesus did, and it really just means on the behalf of others. How do we understand our North American culture? How, what do we value 
as North Americans, as United States citizens. Last week, we talked a little bit about how our individualistic worldview can affect our faith and how we interact with uh, each other and people from other cultures, but also just here in North America. And I want to ask the question this morning, what are some of the other implications? We're going to go a little bit deeper and can combine some of this. What are some other tendencies, some other traits that being from the West, we are teaching our children? How am I bringing up my daughter and my son? And what is just my Western tinted glass perspective? Is this really a value kingdom? Because if we're individualistic, there's some things that come out of that. Like we, the United States, we're heavily focused on freedom. And we stand up for people around the world. But also being individualistic, we don't mimic, we don't look like uh, the church does in Asia. We don't look like the church does in Haitian society where they are more collectivist. Church and community have a different meaning when you're a collectivist society. There is no break. Everybody is involved. And the relationships are a lot deeper. I think one of the things that happens because we are individualistic, we go shallow in our relationships. We aren't really walking like Jesus walked with people. Deep. Paul walked deep. So I want to, have you heard of uh, Hofstede? He has a really cool, he's a, a lot of my research is based on his research, but he has uh, six cultural dimensions, and he does this uh, for around the world, and it's a really useful tool. There's an app and everything. He's got a whole institute, but you can punch in any country's name, and it will tell you, it'll tell you some of their cultural behaviors, their norms, their beliefs, how they see the world affects them. And this is used across organizations, including business, because you want to, if you're in negotiation, if you're in communication, you want to understand the other person. So what I thought I'd do this morning, because we're trying to communicate with North American culture, we're trying to shine the light for Jesus while not compromising, we're trying to be what we see in the prologue of John, a balance between grace and truth in our message uh, to the culture. We're going to look at the United States, and you see some of these dimensions. Can you read those? So it's back and forth, So because there are implications when we combine them. So individualism versus collectivism. The United States is one of the most individualistic uh, countries on the face of the earth. We rank 91% in this. So we are very high. So you combine that with some of these other, and it affects how we see the rest of the world. These are our values. This is what North American culture values. So we jump over there to power distance index. So I'm just going to, because I lived in Asia, I'm just going to, it's an easy uh, correlation to make. In Asia, the higher the person is, the, there's a hierarchy to organizations, to how they work. The higher the person, the more power a person has, the rest of us have a greater distance, okay? In America, we have a low power distance score. What does that mean? That means that we have access to our leaders. That means that we see everybody as equal. Equality is very good, is very good, a high value for us, right? There's lots of good things that come out of that. We are the ones, we're a very generous nation. We're humanitarian nation. We're the ones that stand up for the underdog. We have a heart for that. That's good. Indulgence. Indulgence versus restraint. I think this one is kind of self-explanatory. Do you give in to your desires or you have a little more restraint? We're individualistic, a little bit materialistic. One of the cultural sins I see in North America, we talked about this last week, and you said it, I didn't, but I was thinking it, is that we're a little bit greedy. Jesus preaches about greed. If we are individualistic, 
if we have this uh, low power uh, distance index, and then we're also very high on indulgence, we rank high on this one, what do you think that means for our faith? What do you think that means for how we view other people? We don't restrain our desires as a Western culture. Europe would be the same, Canada would be the same, and granted, we're talking in big generalities here, right? There are other factors that play into culture. We're all individuals. I'm an introvert. You're an extrovert. We seem to get along okay sometimes, so it's all working. This is really about self-reflection. This is about asking ourselves the question continually, where is Jesus in my life today? So I think the good stuff is, is liberty and justice for all. Those are good things about our culture. What are some other things, some other implications from what's happening here? Because these are some things that we need to keep in mind because sometimes I think as North Americans, we contradict ourselves. We uh, put these things together. We have sayings like, uh, we work hard and we play hard. That seems a little bit contradictory. That seems not like a very holistic way to approach life. We have other things like, we have uh, the war on drugs. We've been fighting drugs for how long? We've spent a lot of money on it. We are, you compare us to the other wealthiest nations, we have the most addiction of anybody else. And we can talk about other things like guns. There's a whole slew of things that how our way of thinking affects not only how we live, but affects our faith and affects how we talk to people who are non-believers. I believe as a culture we are ethnocentric. I think that we are building our own kingdoms. I think that is a question of heart. And I think uh, when we talk about that, what is the foundational sin behind greed, behind thinking of me being self-focused because one of the tenets of our faith is death to self, self-sacrifice. We die so that other people can live. We don't want a kingdom culture because we don't want a king. I think the foundational sin here is pride. It was the first sin. It was the fall. Lies began after that. The best place to start in transforming your heart from culture to kingdom is to give the authority of your desires to God. Because what drives you? What motivates you? All of us have different motivations, different drives, different uh, interests. Would you agree that there's some things that you care a whole lot about and then some other things that just don't really hit your radar? That's revealing your heart. What makes you you? What's the essence of your unique personhood? I think if you probe deeply enough, you'll find that it's not your actions, it's not your thoughts, it's not your ideas, it's your desires. We are most basically what we desire, what we long for. That's what motivates us. We put on the ideas and the actions and the thoughts afterwards to justify whatever our desire is. If it doesn't matching God's desire, if we think we need to do that. Your, individualism, your individuality is determined by your desire, your appetites, your passions. If that is true... A radical change in our desires and longings happens when we are born again. It's death to the old self. We pin our hopes and desires on God. Our personhood changed. 
Has God touched the desires of your heart? Do you desire what he desires? One of the things I look at in Paul, and you see this, and we talked a little bit about this, is repentance. I want to talk a little bit about this because I think there's a misconception. We often talk of repentance as a one and done deal, right? I prayed the sinner's prayer, and I haven't had to repent since then. I don't think so. I'm talking about me personally. I wasn't making eye contact with anyone there. <laughs> me and Jesus are tight, yeah? We're really talking about identity here because the truth sometimes is because we can do everything because we're in a wealthy nation. We can rely on our own strength, our own everything. We don't need God. I think one of the big differences in Haiti that I see is that they need God. They're praying every day. And I do. we're talking generalizations. Lots of churches are praying for God. And I told you last week, I see revival around the corner. But we're talking big picture here. I think the church is praying, we need you. We desperately need you. I think as a North American, because I'm self-empowered, because I am self-reliant, because I'm thinking about me and mine and how to make us more comfortable, and I have control, I think one of the things that points out in my life is that there's sins that I kind of even don't recognize anymore because I've been justifying so long and saying, hey, I'm just comparing myself to the next person, and it's all based in some of these North American values that we have. And one of them that we don't have is this attitude of on our knees before God. We say we're a godly nation, right? The United States would say that we're founded on God, and God we trust. Our leaders over the last couple decades, our uh, televangelists, all that, corrupt, yeah? Immoral. That's a general sweeping statement, I know, and kind of unfair, but it happens. I think our feelings of sin can be familiar, can be comfortable. We recognize them. And I think... uh, One of the problems that we face is that we're more intimate with our sin than we are with Jesus. I think being willing to pray, you know what, Jesus, from Psalm 139, search me, know my heart, that's the step of repentance. And that's something that happens. It's not a linear process. That's something that happens continually. It's our identity. It's our honesty. It's our integrity. Coming to Jesus every day and saying, hey, take a look. And being prompted by the Holy Spirit to say, you know what, I messed that up. And that is on me. I think a lot of this has to do with being humble. Having a humble heart. And one of the tenets in how we understand the culture around us is having a learner's heart. Having a learner's heart, understanding the balance between grace and truth. And I see this uh, in, um, um, I want to share a Haiti testimony uh, with you. Uh, this is uh, Evans, and he's come through the program, and you see a lot in his testimony of repentance, and you see that uh, uh, he was broken, but he's given himself, and he's on fire for Jesus. Uh, can we run that? Uh, it's a clip. It's a little video. Papa m'a fait tout ça qui dépend de lui pour ne pas laisser influencer par rapport à mon devis, côté que tu es dans la zone. Mais à cause de problèmes d'insécurité, problèmes bandits, ça t'est toujours qu'on rend moins traumatisé, qui donc moins grandi, tout frustré. 
en 2018, Bandit est arrivé menacer maman. Ça te finit que tu es obligé de quitter zone zones pas forcé. Et c'est là que je commencé à vivre loin de moi. C'est même dans l'année ça que je fait philo et je suis allé dans l'examen et je pas arrivé à réussir. Je pensais que la vie était résumée en échec seulement et je suis toujours frustré. C'est là que je commencé à boire alcool, à fumer des cigarettes. À chaque fois que je me sentais frustré, je me toujours trouvé que c'est celle-là qui a soulagé dans moment ça. Je suis tellement pratiqué l'empile, je suis arrivé malade dans l'estomac et je suis éterné l'hôpital. Mais ça n'a pas de raison pour te faire quitter boire l'alcool parce que dans moment ça, je me trouvé que c'est la seule solution. Je suis venu rencontrer un ancien condisciple qui a parlé de programme HTC. Étant donné que dans le moment ça, je ne pas faire rien, je me dit que je suis m'a fait 18 mois et je me suis mon que je fait un peu de temps. Et, mais bon Dieu, tu as utilisé le programme pour changer la vie. Et c'est un de programme qui est venu arriver à accepter Jésus. Et je suis venu reconnaître que je suis important dans le jeu et dans le jeu monde. Je suis construire un rêve dans le programme. Et le rêve c'est pour me venir un grand musicien. Je dis merci avec bon Dieu qui te mis le programme sur le monde. Et je profite de l'occasion pour me remercier tous les donateurs, tous les supporters qui rendent le programme possible. Merci. Mm, yes. Yep. We'll pass that on to Tevins. The, uh, he would be delighted. So thank you. I'd be for sure tell him that uh, you uh, loved his testimony. His testimony is great. You caught some of the culture that he's up against, what's happening in Haiti. The gangs are running still quite a bit. And if you pay attention to the news, uh, downtown is still a ghost town. It's a gang controlled. There are corridors that are safe. So there are corridors that the police and the government uh, have controlled. But gang control, gang violence, uh, protests and riots because of what's happening uh, with the government and the fuel and the shortages across the board have really put stress on Haitians. Their national culture has put a lot of stress on Haitians. But the church and people like Evans, they are responding in community. They are responding in hope. And I think that's why God's blessing Rendezvous Christ Church, where Julio's pastor and Haiti Teen Challenge in Haiti, because they are a beacon of hope, and they are risking great things to be out there and involved in the community. They've seen a gap. They've seen a problem. They've seen a problem in that education. How do we have our kids in school? How do we do leadership training? How do we have this? Because a lot of stuff, we don't just send them through Haiti Teen Challenge and the recovery. We have aftercare, right? And that's a lot of vocation. That's a lot of education. We're trying to send them back into their uh, communities equipped to be uh, leaders for God with great integrity. And that's what's happening. That's what Evans is doing. They're standing up to the culture. They're finding that they found a gap. Haiti Teen Challenge is the only addiction recovery program happening in Haiti. They found a gap. They found value, and they've been speaking into that year after year after year. They're getting recognized. They're, they're a hub in Port-au-Prince for a lot of other ministries because they thrived during the pandemic. They've thrived through uh, the violence. They haven't shut down. They're getting uh, recognition uh, from the uh, civic arena. We have uh, um, candidates for higher offices in government coming to Rendezvous Church. 
as you think about it, pray for Julio, because Julio is becoming a leader in this nation. His voice is becoming higher and higher, and you know that when you are doing something for the kingdom of God, there'll be opposition. There will be people that uh, come at them. The, uh, there, is a, there is security risk. There is, we have to beef up our security. Armored car, armed guards, the entire thing. It's real life. So pray for uh, Julio. Pray for um, that just God's favor will continue on, uh, on this, on this uh, Holy Spirit movement that's happening. I would invite you all down, but after that, uh, we'll talk about you guys coming down in a, after a couple more trips, all right? So pray for the security there. Pray for what's happening there. But we'd also love to have you come down sometime because the church is very exciting. We're going to conclude with uh, Paul, what he says about culture, the kingdom, his strategy. And I'm going to move to Galatians a little bit because uh, uh, what's the greatest commandment? I forgot. Yeah. Love the Lord your God with uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and love your neighbor not as yourself. Paul does a commentary. This is how we're supposed to live, like uh, all the time. And Paul does a commentary on the greatest commandment because his strategy is love, but it's not a meek love; it's a bold love. Exactly what he says in Galatians five: We're called to freedom, brethren. Not only to turn your don't turn your freedom into an opportunity of the flesh. But through your love, serve one another. We use our liberty for serving. That's what he's talking about in slave in uh, 1 Corinthians. Though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave or servant to all. That's what Paul and Jesus mean by love. Paul goes on. He says, you, my brothers, sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge in flesh Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Paul goes on to say, so let's walk in spirit. Let's be in step with spirit. Paul says Christ died to set us free. There's evidences of that. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and not indulgence. Self-control. Paul says Christ died to set us free. Free from darkness, free from separation, free from the loveless limits of the law, but free to love, free and eternal. Jesus has a take on the kingdom. Um, he had a, he's, that was his message. He preached uh, the kingdom. And Jesus' words were compassionate, mercy-filled when he was talking to someone not of the faith. But when he was t talking to the religious institution, when he was talking to the Pharisees, Sadducees, Essenes, whoever at the time, that's where the, great, the context for the greatest commandment, they're testing him. They're trying to trick him into saying something so that uh, one of the houses of these religious leaders can say, ah, oh, he's not doing that right. So Jesus is standing up to these guys all the time. In Matthew 21, Jesus gives his take, and I want you to understand the audience and who he's talking to. So Matthew 21, Jesus says this, Talking to the Pharisees, what do you think? A man has two sons. He goes to the first son and he says, son, I want you to go out and work in the vineyard today. The first son says, no, I'm not going to do that. But later he changes his mind and goes out and works in the vineyard. Jesus says, there's a second son. The father goes to that second son and says the exact same thing. Son, I want you to go out and work in the vineyard today. 
That son's reply is, yes, sir, I will. But he never goes. Jesus says, which one of these two sons do you think did what the father wanted? Go ahead. Yeah, the first son, right? The first son. Jesus says, then, very truly, I tell unto you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes will be entering the kingdom of heaven ahead of you. I read those words and I get a little chill, right? Because I'm part of the church right now, and I think this has to do with repentance. Because what does repentance produce in our lives? When I repent, it produces compassion. I see people, I have had this great gift. I've been broken on my knees. Why wouldn't I want to extend that to everyone else? It changes how I view the culture around me. It changes how I view people. It changes my motivation. It changes my desire. Because what happened then? Jesus concludes this story because the tax clusters and the prostitutes repented. John the Baptist came and told you to repent. And guess what? You didn't do it. That's Jesus, one of his remarks on the institution. Here's the tension I see between Paul's writing and about freedom and Jesus' assessment of the religious leaders and the view of kingdom of heaven. And by tension, I mean the good thing, right? The thing, the question that propels us forward, the thing that's moving us forward in our faith. Am I a separatist when it comes to culture? I just like to tell everybody how they're doing it incorrectly and justify my own preferences Here's a litmus for that. How many non-believing friends do you have? And remember, we're Westerners, we're North Americans, we're not just talking about affinity friends, right? You do something, you do a joined activity together. You're actually walking deep with someone. And then the other part, am I too much on grace? Am I too relative in my perception? Does the world see anything different in me, or do I just blend in with everyone else? It's a radical love of Jesus expressing itself, himself, through the Holy Spirit to the people around me. Grace and truth. How much do I look like Jesus? I'd like to um, ask the worship band uh, to come up, and let me uh, close this in prayer. Heavenly Father, we give today to you. We give Chapel Hill to you. We thank you for the beacon of light on the hill, and we pray a blessing on all their outreach over the next month. We love you. Uh, we give uh, ourselves to you, and we do want to sit with and wrestle with a tension-filled question. Do people see you in how I live today and how we live? We love you. Amen.